0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Speed City, Sunday night on Speed City. Yes, it seems a long time ago that the Japanese Grand Prix was in the books. But if you stayed up late enough to watch it, which I think me and Bob did, um, it was a good one. It was actually a very good race. And we crowned a new world champion constructors team. Really a bit of a foregone conclusion. But Red Bull are world champions now thanks to another victory by the man, the myth, the legend that is... Max Verstappen, and he did it in style, uh, there was never a doubt, uh, all weekend long. He topped every time um, sheet that there was to have, including pole position and fastest lap. Bob Varsha, welcome to the show. We're hopefully going to be joined by Chris Medland, who is on his way, hot-footing it to the airport in Japan, but he's uh, gracefully said he'll try and join us before he jumps on his plane. Um, But your first takeaway from last night, uh, a good race.
1: Yeah, it, it was. It was a good race. I'm kind of torn between, you know, the historical background of the moment with Red Bull clinching. What, as you just pointed out is an anticlimactic constructors mm-hmm. title, but still you can't take away from what they've done. And in this case, I think the team outshined the drivers granted Max Verstappen on route to another win on route to another route. I might say <laughs> uh, his fastest lap was more than one second faster than anybody else out there. Um, you know, you just can't deny uh, what that combination of car and driver—and I mean that sincerely—it's not just the car, it's not just the driver, it's the combination of both. Just look at Sergio Perez, his teammate for, you know, for the uh, for the opposite argument. But uh, I will also say it's a track that I love so much that you know I was almost caught being a a tourist as much as a race fan um, watching oh. Suzuka and actually. Wrote to one of my old colleagues about the years we spent there, uh, you know, 30 years ago, watching uh, the cars go around and all the things that happened at the start, at turn one, in the chicane, on and on and on. It's uh, it's just a fabulous place. It was a real walk down memory lane for me, as well as uh, you know, an icebreaker in terms of what's coming up. And I will take this moment to gloat that uh, I correctly predicted that uh, Red Bull would win the Constructors' title. And if Charles Leclerc had just been able to catch Oscar Piastri, I would have hit the trifecta in terms of Verstappen, Lando Norris, and Leclerc for the podium. But instead, Oscar Piastri got there for mclaren and uh i can't begrudge him you know great moment for a great young driver we're going to be hearing a lot from him in the future
0: yeah i must admit my memories of the log cabin uh, in japan i'll never yes. forget making Mika hacken and sing stop mr postman
1: in the log cabin <laughs> yeah i remember uh i heard in center one year uh wobbling off into the night it must be said uh, for those who don't know there's this really kind of out of place and, <laughs> and it's charming because of it it's a, a log cabin that is essentially a pub a bar yeah on the grounds of the big hotel where all the teams stay uh, across the street from the suzuka circuit ron dennis uh, bought drinks uh you know the uh, the legendary manager of uh, team uh, principal at mclaren um I was talking with Dave O'Neill uh, during our uh, pre-qualifying show, and Dave was talking about one of Michael Schumacher's championships, where he was last seen driving a forklift <laughs> across the property with a big cigar in his mouth. Um, you know, these are these are the kind of memories that don't wind up on SportsCenter. No, uh,
0: thankfully not. Yeah. Days of social media, way before that, and I'm glad right. to say that we had our fun. Uh, but now, social media you never get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, I think I heard another nice ping from Japan of maybe Chris Medlin. Chris, are you there? Oh, yeah, I am indeed. Hey. How are we doing, Tim?
1: Hey, Chris.
0: Great job yesterday. Um, you are hot-footing it, I know, to the airport and heading home. Um, what was the take, if you will, post-race, new world champions, and lots to talk about because it was an interesting race in a lot of ways.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm actually at the airport right now, um, getting ready to to fly back to London via Zurich. So it's never never simple making your way back from some of these races. Uh, <laughs> a lot of tired mechanics and team members around as well with the, oh, the back-to-back we've just had with Singapore and the time zone change. But um, it was, dare I say it, it wasn't the most uh, crazy set of celebrations or high-energy Sunday night mm-hmm. um, in Suzuka based on the fact that, I mean, I think everyone had seen Red Bull's success coming, hadn't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It it would have taken something unbelievable to even just stop them yesterday, let alone uh, in the coming weeks. But um, there was was a real sense of pride there within the team, I think, for what they've achieved. Because if you look at the the period of dominance they had from 2010 to 2013, the four years of winning uh, both titles then, and that was ended abruptly by the V6 era starting and Mercedes just becoming the benchmark by a long, long way. And I think there was a lot of frustration that grew and then that frustration evolved into determination and then wins started to pick up every now and then and slowly back into uh, championship contention. So even though it's been a, an easy win, shall we say, in terms of, you know, no real pressure from the opening couple of races that Red Bull were going to go and win both titles, um, it's it's been almost anchored in the hard work that had to go for nearly a decade um, from 2014 onwards. to to get into this position for the last couple of years. So Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think there was a lot of, a lot of celebration from their side in that sense. So they're they're really relishing it because they know just how hard it can be to get back on top when another team is dominating and they're going to try and stay there. But uh, I'd say probably the biggest takeaway, there was two. One was obviously McLaren, huge, um, not relief, but enjoyment of the way that that team has turned its season around. Eight Mm -hmm. races, uh, yeah, the season we can split into two sets of eight races now because we're 16 in. First eight, 17 points for McLaren wow. uh, in total. Um, yeah. Second eight, 155. So we're nearly talking a tenfold increase, yeah. uh, which is just remarkable. Uh, it's, it's just, yeah, uh, an insane, insane improvement. And the fact that it's continuing and they're managing to hold off these big teams in Mercedes and Ferrari uh, it really has... Uh, has impressed, I think, pretty much everyone up and down the grid. Uh, so that was that was one of the takeaways. And there was uh, quite a few celebrations going on at McLaren. Uh, the other one was just something very funny that I'd, I'd like to retell. And this is something we wouldn't have been able to broadcast anyway because it was in the uh, <laughs> written media pen. But uh, after the race, Charles Leclerc came over and right. uh, Luke Smith from The Athletic, who I hang out with, um, said to him, you know, was that the most you could do today, fourth place? Kind of happy with that, with the pace of the McLaren and stuff. And he's like, yeah, I don't think we could have done much more. Um I did spend the whole race thinking I was on for a podium and in third because I passed Max early on when he hit trouble. Uh, and then uh, it was only when I saw my pit board on the final lap that said I was P4. So um, I don't know what happened with Max, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I overtook him. So I, I thought I was on for a podium. And everyone's like, oh, did you, did you see Red Bull in the pit lane on the big screen and just misunderstand or something? He's like, no, no, under the, under the virtual safety car. Um, he slowed down on the inside of Spoon and, and we all passed him. Um, you know I'm not crazy am I that happened and everyone and he had to be told no. that might have been Perez who was a lap down because yeah. he'd had issues and problems and you saw it did take a little while for us to realise that for the clerk he hadn't seen that hand to Perez behind him so when he came across a Red Bull ahead you would naturally would assume that's the leader that's Verstappen you know why else is there a Red Bull in front yeah. of me but uh, no it was Perez a lap down so that's- when he was told that he suddenly was oh right this this was he'd done all his TV interviews by now this was <laughs> 40 minutes after the race, and he was finally getting to understand why he wasn't on the podium. It was hilarious. It kind right. of
0: sums up the communication in the Ferrari uh, garage then between engineers <laughs> and drivers that they don't even let him know.
1: Right. Well, A little yeah, bit. Good yeah. point. Yeah. Not to their credit. How many times have we heard drivers say, well, I'll have to see the video. I'm not sure what happened there. Yeah. And I can imagine the guys, you know, get confused. Your focus is is on you and what you're doing. and Boy, oh, boy. Guys, is That's, it too yeah, harsh? I, it,
0: Go on. Go on, Chris.
2: I was going to say it was one of those where uh, normally I'm impressed by the capacity these drivers have externally Mm -hmm. to be paying attention to things, to be aware of what's going on in the race, they're checking the big screens. There's a timing tower that normally tells them the race order as well, uh, and they're just picking up on stuff. Uh, And obviously they're within it. They know the place they started, they knew who was around them, they know how the start goes and where everyone's gone, so they roughly know exactly where they are, even without all that uh, external hints. So I did find it surprising that it wasn't until the final lap that Leclerc was told by his pit board but also that he hadn't worked it out by then yeah. uh surely he would have seen Verstappen somewhere on the screen or he would have seen yeah. uh the timing tower but hey may- maybe he was just so locked in on that track because it is uh, an intense yeah. one for the drivers
0: yeah. you know
1: hey, go ahead Bob well I was going to ask uh, uh, Chris what happened uh after the race regarding Um, Sergio Perez and the whole, you're retired from the race, but you get a five-second penalty. Can I go back out and serve that penalty and then retire again or go to the checkered flag, whatever? And he was allowed to do that. And now we're hearing, if it's still accurate, that they're going to try to tighten up the rules regarding that sort of thing uh, in the very near future. Uh, Was there any uh, blowback post-race about what Red Bull did with Perez and his penalty?
2: No, no, no blowback in the sense that it, you know, it was clear in regulations they were allowed to do it. Uh, I think they probably actually checked with race control that you know, they weren't missing something and that the regulations were written in a way that would let them send him back out. Uh, mm-hmm. it, the thing is there, quite often it could have been that so the, the timing of the penalty that was handed out to Perez came on the lap he was called into the pits to retire the car in the first place. So he was, I don't know, about a sector away from retiring when the penalty dropped, and nobody was able to react quickly enough. If he was one lap later coming into the pits, then the team would have had enough time to analyse that penalty and gone, okay, we're going to pit you now. You're going right. to take your penalty. We'll send you back out, and then we'll retire the car. And most people wouldn't have batted an eyelid because they'd have gone, oh, with the penalty, he's now totally out of the race, he's got damage, you know, game over. Yeah. Uh, that's almost like a normal thing. I'd look at Logan Sargent. You know, he had a couple of penalties yesterday to take. Yeah, he caused one in- incident himself, had damage, took all the penalties, and then after that, the team looked at where they were in the race and like, let's just save the car. It's not, it's not in okay. a good state anyway, and, and nothing's coming our way. So I, I don't think it was actually that unusual, but it was just that Red Bull, the timing of the penalty, yeah, you know, was unfortunate. So they'd retired him, and then realised, well, if he's out in the race now, he's going to get a grid penalty in Qatar as as the penalty will carry over. So to avoid that, which I think would have been. I think most people would have agreed it would have been an overly harsh hangover. Uh, as much as he deserved a penalty for what he did to Kevin Magnussen, it also contributed to Perez's race ending. Um, so there was there was no complaints in terms of them doing it. But I think, yeah, teams do want that tightened up for future. So you don't have random cars just popping in and out of the race just to tick a box. So in future, if that same situation were to evolve, uh, Perez and Red Bull would have needed to react more quickly to say actually stay out. Um, we need to serve a penalty. You've got to stay in this race for a bit longer uh, so that it would have been a bit tidier. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's... It's just a loophole that will will be closed. We get these quite often, don't we, where yeah, you, sure. you realise that's not the intention of the rules. So, yeah, that will be... I think there's a sporting advisory committee coming up in the next couple of weeks where they'll also look at the penalty that Williams got and trying to allow teams to do more work on cars, on, on spare chassis uh, after a big crash in qualifying so they can make use of the time overnight. Uh, so, yeah, there's a few few loose ends from this weekend that will be uh, looked at.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because we had the case of Logan Sargent who crashed his car. It was deemed unrepairable. So they brought out another um, um, chassis, another monocoque, and started building it up. And then I saw that Joe Bauer, the official uh, scrutineering boss, reported to the stewards or to race control that they built up a car to such an extent that it contravened the rule about no third car being available to the team. Um, and I'm not sure if he was penalized for that or do you know? He was, yeah. Yep. He he was. Was, he got, so,
2: so he was already started for the pit lane because they were changing so much on the car, it would be a new specification, so therefore it had to be a pit lane start. Right. But then by, by having built the car up too much when you're not allowed to, so to really strip it back, teams have a, a separate survival cell that they can put parts on, you know, the suspension bolts onto uh right. then the the gearbox and the power unit goes on the back uh, radiators on the side things like that there's only so much they're allowed to have pre-attached to that uh sh- to that chassis to ensure that they don't have a third car ready to run mm-hmm. uh the main reason for that is to stop teams having a car they'll use in qualifying uh you know a right. certain s- chassis that is only running every now and then to get a good grip position and that then they switch it for their race chassis that so it takes a bit more of a beating. Um, so it's to make sure that the same chassis is being used all the way through. But in the case of Sargent and in Stroll in Singapore, if you have a big crash in qualifying, you've got a lot of work to do to either rebuild the car completely with the original chassis or to use the spare chassis and build that up. But the way Park Fermi works is you can only start that work after the covers come off the car on a Sunday morning. So essentially what Aston Martin said they had to do in um, Singapore, they zipped up that hugely damaged car from Stroll's qualifying crash, got zipped up as if it was a, a perfectly pristine car ready to race the next day. Uh, it got locked into Park Ferme, and only when Park Ferme lifted the next day could they unzip it and remove it and then roll into that same position, their new unbuilt chassis, and start work on it. Now, a lot of the teams have said that this is ridiculous. We know we have all this work to do. We, we have... 18 hours before the race, and you're saying, we have to wait another 10 hours or even more, 13 hours, till we can actually start doing that work. Uh, And part of that is to protect the mechanics, make sure that they are getting some rest and some sleep and uh, that teams aren't um, working them too hard. But they're saying, but it's putting huge pressure on them, like condensing that time. It's risking drivers not making the race. Uh, You know, people aren't resting and sleeping. They prepare as much as they can, but then they're worried about the job in hand that they've got ahead. So recently, the list of parts you could put on that spare chassis ahead of time was updated. And what most teams do is they still haven't done any of that work until there's an incident that they need to respond to. So Aston Martin did a bit of that work on the Saturday night in Singapore. Williams were doing the same in this case with Sargent, but they just added too many parts that weren't yeah. on the list of things you could add. <laughs> um, and t- the teams kind of are saying that this isn't fit for purpose as well, this rule. Uh, yeah. We should be allowed to build... or we sh- if there's been an incident, we should be able to get an exemption that says, crack on. Like, we know why mm. you need to rebuild your chassis. Your other one's damaged. Get on with it. Um, so, yeah, again, that's that's something that they will look at at the next meeting.
1: We've come a long way from the days when the first year I went to uh, Richmond with the NASCAR Cup Series. And I went back to my hotel and I was walking past the swimming pool and I looked in one direction and there was a door open in a room and a bunch of mechanics were building an engine in somebody's hotel room because they'd been shut out of the paddock, couldn't work in the garage (laughs) area. We'll do it in our hotel. Yeah, no kidding. Well, listen, guys, we've
0: got to take a short break. Um, A couple of subjects, and I'm keeping an eye on YouTube as well, but a couple of subjects I want to bring up. uh, Perez, what is the peril for him? Uh, Sergeant, likewise, uh, and Andretti. Uh, another subject. I don't know how long you can stay with us, Chris, but stay as long as you can. We'll take a short break here on Speed City. We'll be back with more to talk about from the Japanese Grand Prix. Stay with us. Yeah, the point I was going to make and, you know, was just that, you know, I don't know, how do you feel about the fact that, you know, we've had dominance in the past, uh, but it's always been kind of two-way dominance, i.e. Rosberg and Hamilton. Uh, Schumacher and um, Irvine, obviously Hamilton. You know the the, the dominance of a team, but yeah. here with 400 versus 223, and again a pretty shoddy showing from Perez last night with a very very strange lunge, um, which was all his fault. Yeah. Um, it's just not looking good, is it? No, no. I wouldn't
1: think
0: and chris we got a story from f1 or a story from f1 business about uh, andretti and zach brown saying hey the dilution's not as bad as we think um and i I mean i don't know if you've got any more to add but andretti seems to be last man standing
2: oh yeah definitely last man standing um or i'm not sure if they've ruled out officially everyone that did submit an entry i never the fia wouldn't confirm that okay but yeah that's um i can i can take it on a bit
0: okay well
1: This is David Hobbs, and you're listening to Speed City.
0: Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Shamojal! That's all I can think of when I think of David Hobbs. Him, uh, a longtime <laughs> friend of Bob Varsha and, of course, the show. And American motorsport, a great, great, great guy. Uh, always good for a comment and a fantastic racing driver in his own time. Back to the Japanese Grand Prix. And, guys, before the break, I mentioned the fact that we've had domination in uh, Formula One over the years. And again, Red Bull have done it. But this is kind of a one-man show, really, because Perez, although he will finish second in the championship, just looks as though he hasn't played the part in this play uh, as he should have done. He hasn't been the ultimate backup guy, and that is why his job's on the line. I don't know, Chris, if there's anything moved on. But yesterday was not a good showing from Sergio, and I'm a big fan of his.
2: Yeah, I think yesterday was actually quite a damaging race for Checker to have because it was Honda's home race, Red Bull clinching the constructors title, and he was meant to be a part of that. I think in the perfect world, it would have been a Red Bull one two, the car's information across the line or information on the cooldown lap to get photos and you know and it should have been given the dominance of that car. Um, the, at the very least he should have been in it and and picking up st- solid points. So to have made the errors he did and keep compounding them, I think he was Slightly unlucky on on the first lap in the run to turn one. You know, four into one is not going to go. Uh, And he's only a small part of that equation that led to him getting some damage there. But from that point onwards, yeah, it was a pretty poor showing from Perez. And yeah, there was some frustration from Christian Horner afterwards. He did say that the only good thing about Perez's day was the fact that they managed to avoid the penalty for him in Qatar by getting back out to serve that five-second time penalty we were talking about earlier. So um, that's not exactly a ringing endorsement from your team boss. When Daniel Ricciardo came back, I'm now hearing that he only came back and agreed to the midseason seat he got because they signed the deal there and then, or agreed the deal there and then, that he would still race for Alpha next year, that he'd get a full season uh. to prove himself. Uh, essentially, it was that if he did a brilliant job in the second half of this season and, and they really wanted to move things around, then he's already under contract and they could put him in a Red Bull. But if not, if he struggled a bit, he was guaranteeing himself a, a second opportunity at improvement. You know, he's giving himself a, a wider window. And I think the fact that you know we've now got Ricardo confirmed, you know, I don't think Yuki Tsunoda is ever going to end up in a Red Bull. Sadly, I just don't think Red mm. Bull value him highly enough for that potential move in future. But Ricardo, they do. So Ricardo is still looming. Once he comes back, it might be Qatar. I think it's likely to be Austin, just because mm. why rush it? He knows he's got a seat for next year. Uh, but when he does come back. His form is going to be really, really telling because yeah. Yeah, a day like yesterday should have been a, all about celebration. There shouldn't have been a negative thing to talk about when it comes to Red Bull. And as you say, um, yeah, Perez's day was a was a bit of a shocker. And the points you've mentioned, Verstappen would be winning yeah. the constructors' championship Regardless. on his own by nearly a hundred points. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's remarkable.
1: And you say that, uh, or uh, you said Jonathan that. Perez is going to finish second in the drivers' championship. That's not a done deal. He's only thirty three point. points ahead of Lewis Hamilton right now. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 He could wind up getting knocked out of second place in the drivers championship and
0: which would be the final the nail, wouldn't Chris it? Chris has
1: already pointed out that would be, I would think, the coup de grace. Yeah, I agree. With, for his chances.
0: You know, we've got You've a got few got
1: comments on that
2: Red Bull have never Sorry, Red Bull have never had a 1-2 in the Drivers' Championship. That's right, right. And they nearly got it last year and they were a, a little bit down that it failed there. But they, I think they were a bit more understanding that the points that Ferrari got early on, if you look at Leclerc's start especially, uh, that, okay, Checker had to kind of play catch-up through the season uh, and just didn't quite get it done in time. But they thought this year it was going to happen. And I'm with you when you have a day like yesterday... Yeah. That, that only builds pressure and Perez hasn't responded brilliantly to pressure all season. No. He's had the odd time it's been impressive, but other times he's cracked under it. So, yeah, you can't guarantee that he's not going to yeah. have more weekends like that, which could well open the door for someone like Hamilton. I think Alonso's out of that picture now. It, that Aston Martin just doesn't look competitive enough to get him those sorts of points. But Hamilton yeah, certainly was.
0: is. Well, mm-hmm. I, our, our regulars feel the same way. Uh, Joe from Avoyster Bay says Perez was like sci-fi crazy bad. Uh, Dave Lawrence says Perez got to be out for RB by 24, uh, especially with Liam reportedly being guaranteed a seat for 2025 with either RB or AT. That's an interesting one. Um, But yeah, I mean, just on following on from that, um, what do we think? I mean, Lawson, again, handily beat his teammate Sonoda. I agree with you, Chris. Um, Does Lawson wait uh, just as Piastri did? despite the fact that he might even get another run in, in Qatar. But he he showed a clean set of heels at Suzuka yesterday, did not make any mistakes. He hasn't made any mistakes yet. And while I don't think he's ready to go and be Verstappen's teammate, I, I was not surprised, but I think he was in line uh, to potentially, uh, you know, either take Sonoda or... Uh, Ricardo's seat after what has been a really good showing um, in a, in the worst team of the day and he's been scoring points for the team so I don't know what, what, is there any more rumours about where Lawson will be in 24 besides the fact that he's been guaranteed a reserve drive?
2: Uh, No, nothing more at the moment. Uh, The team has lined him up to be very, very present in terms of uh, at every race. So that suggests maybe not another Super Formula year, whatever happens with this Super Formula Championship, which ends at Suzuka actually in about four or five weeks' time. Uh, So he could become Super Formula Champion, which would be a a feather in his cap. But the team won him at every Grand Prix next year, which means obviously he's very ready to jump in the car, but also gets more experience. I think the way we've seen certain talents have a year out uh, which is why I'm, anyone who's heard it on our other shows at times, I kind of suggested it wouldn't even hurt Yuki Tsunoda to become Red Bull Reserve and get closer to that team. Because we've seen a lot of people come back from mm. having impressed within sim work and some of the testing they can do in things. Uh, I think Lawson could, right <coughs> say, look at Piastri. He can look at mm. more experienced wise Albon, who had a year out in that role, uh, and, and it can still further his career. I think he's Mm -hmm. probably better off doing that than going into a brand new environment that that might not work, but not his own fault. Uh, And especially if we're talking Williams, I think the way he's been brought up in the Red Bull program, obviously it wouldn't be bad for him to be getting race experience and doing a full season somewhere. But I don't think it's such a problem if he doesn't, if we put it that way. So uh, I think he's more likely to to stay as the reserve. Uh, I think Williams really do want to try and keep Logan Sargent. They just need him to put something together that allows them to... Make that final call. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think he's more likely to be Lawson staying as the reserve. But as you say, yesterday, what was impressive? I thought yesterday. And I don't know what you guys think, but there were some points early in the race where Lawson he'd made the good start, and he got ahead of Sonoda, but they were fighting each other oh, on yeah. track hard for position. Because yeah. early on, we saw the same with Hamilton and Russell. If you're the lead car, you're going to get the priority and strategy and things like that. And the racecraft was really firm but but fair and clean, as in no mm-hmm. contact between both. And I thought that was the first time we saw Lawson get his elbows out a bit um, and kind of go, right, you know, I'm going to make a bit of a statement here. And that shows his confidence was growing. Mm-hmm. He's more comfortable with the car. Mm-hmm. And he's doing that on the first lap at Suzuka, which is a, a tricky place to, to go yeah. racing. So, <laughs> yeah, really. He showed another string to his bow, I thought, yesterday.
0: Yeah, no question. Uh, I mean, we talk about that lunge of Perez. When I saw how Yuki was attacking Lawson, I I started the race on board with him. And my word, he was getting dive-bombed on three or four occasions uh, by Yuki. And they were literally wheel-to-wheel throughout most of the first two laps before the safety car came out. Uh, And so there's no question. And they're good friends, but uh, they're both hard racers and they both really wanted a good result for different reasons uh, yesterday. But um, yeah, interesting stuff. There's no question about it. Um. Uh, obviously, we get some more comments. Uh, with somebody, uh, Dave Lawrence, again saying uh, Lance to leave Aston Martin in 25, opening the seat to Yuki at Aston Martin in 26 if he's still around. Either Yuki or is 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 our of course in F2 um, and. Uh, Super Formula, so uh, interesting. And, of course, uh, Lawson's got to go back. He's got October, his next race at Suzuka, funnily enough, so he'll have plenty of confidence. And he's only a couple of uh, points behind to win the Super Formula Championship, which has done him no harm whatsoever. I think that championship uh, breeds good good future.
1: Well, that Sonoda to uh, Aston Martin thing is kind of dependent on where Honda goes, is it not?
0: Uh, I guess, yeah, that's what we're looking at it. And I thought so that's, where that- so that's where Honda are exactly going. Where Honda <laughs> <a done> <laughs> that's where Honda is going, you see. I
1: heard the they, were, they were cool to the idea, but it's, it's going to happen.
2: No, no, no. It's yeah, a yeah, yeah. That was announced. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a permanent deal that starts in 2026. Sorry for the uh, airport announcements that might be ringing in your ears. Um, yeah, that's a done deal for 26 onwards. Whether there are other customers is still TBC. Yeah. Uh, I think there are some teams that wouldn't mind uh, joining forces as well, given what Honda's done recently. Uh, it, it was quite remarkable, actually. There was a point on Friday morning where there's a, there's a new feature that the FI put on this year where all four power unit manufacturers put their power unit out on display in the media center wow. and do a Q&A session. They talk to you around it, and then they answer questions, uh, and they talk about it over the whole project they've had because, of course, we've got the freeze now, which means there's less sensitive data um, and right. and There's not the upgrade battle there used to be and things like that, which incidentally, just as an aside, is one of the reasons why the Red Bull is bulletproof right now as well. People are comparing uh, eras of dominance. Mercedes were in a period where you could update your power unit, and if we remember, some some of the runs of wins they had were Mm -hmm. ended by power units going bang. You get less of that now from all sides because we've got this uh, power unit freeze, and the only thing you can change is for reliability reasons, so much more reliable engines. But anyway, uh, we've got to look around that, and I thought how remarkable that we're sat here We're looking at this power unit, and it is the standard. It is about to win its second championship double, third driver's championship in a row. It's one of the most dominant seasons we've seen, and Honda have played a part in that. And you go back, what would it have been from then? Five, maybe six years? I guess six years. With its GP2 uh, engine? With the GP2 engine. (laughs) Um, And Fernando Alonso at at Suzuka. At Suzuka, yeah, it was.
1: That's a great question. Going back to Chris's point earlier about all that Red Bull could take pride in coming back from where they were while Mercedes was dominating things. They've had Adrian Newey all that time, mm-hmm. you know, the premier Arizona And you would think if you got Adrian, you're halfway to the world championship, but it didn't work out that way. And they struggled with the Renault engines and there was a lot of back and forth. And then they, they made the daring leap to Honda powertrains and it all came good for them, but it could have gone in another direction.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's very interesting. The powertrain future is actually really interesting with Ford coming in, with Audi coming in, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, guys, we've got to take another short break, but I do want to have a little chat about Andretti and anything that's on your guys' minds. And likewise, if you want to call us, call us at 512-643-5483. Remember, Qatar and Austin, just around the corner. Stay with us. Yeah, and Chris, where- I gave Bob this I'm good, article. Sorry, I'm j- you go just going
2: to time, um, time my run through security. So I will be two minutes, but uh, it means I can stay on for longer. Okay, great. I'll, I'll, see, I'll leave the call live, but I'll be muted. So I'll, um, you'll see when I unmute, that I'm back.
1: Yeah, okay. i must say put him up against the wall. Yeah. Him, <laughs> pat him down. Who are you talking what, to? What? Oh, I'm Who just on live. I'm live to? on a radio show. Uh-huh. What's
0: this phone number in the United States? Yeah. What's happening here? Why are you going through security on mute? <laughs> oh, Mr. Medland, you are just married, I see. Right. We kept Paul McCartney over for a while. So know, I've a never heard a like Japanese it. man talk that way, but never mind. Uh, I did see Drew's comment. I thought it was, oh, yes, about uh, Bob. Yeah, yes. I know. They're being rude about you, Bob. Really? Yeah. I I know you're just having a nice, quiet gin and tonic, and yet here you're getting abuse from our fans. <laughs> I I say well, I say heathens.
1: <laughs> Jealousy is a terrible thing, isn't it? Yeah.
0: No, I I am tired. <laughs> I am hey, listen. I went up to my parents to get the dog, and I slept for two hours this afternoon. Yeah. Bob looks exhausted. So. Ah. It's, it's, glamorous, he's flown, he's flown around the world. He's out yeah. there. He's out and about. Hey, I did a show in St. Louis yesterday and did last night, so I was pretty amazed.
1: <laughs> yeah, Chris is going from Tokyo to Heathrow via what do you say, Zurich? Zurich. And, yeah. uh, and he's going to be home for a week, and then he's going back to uh, to the Qatar. Qatar. Yeah.
0: God, that's, it's a, Honestly, I don't know why they organize the, the, the calendar the way they do. Yeah. Liberty looked as though they got a handle on it and were yeah. certainly trying to get a handle on it. Heathen drinking tea, gin and tonic, an old-fashioned like a real American.
1: <laughs> Hi, this is Max Steppen,
0: and you're
3: listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio,
0: Speed City. Welcome back. We're live here in Austin, Texas. Feel free to give us a call. 512-643-5483. Your thoughts on the Japanese Grand Prix or looking ahead to the rest of the season. We've Austin, got Texas, baby. Yes, Texas, baby. Yeah, that's right. All right, all right, all right. But, um, yeah, we've got a lot to look forward to. I think Max is going to wrap up his own title, the driver's title, uh, probably in the sprint race in Qatar, which some people thought was a bit sad. It I, doesn't bother me. Um, which, you know, I mean, it's in a foregone conclusion from about eight races ago. <laughs> But um, I do quite like it when the the championship settled in Austin. We kind of know what's happening, and it's a race. It's a race for a race rather than. Yes, I think all you know everybody's then looking towards twenty four, and we we kind of put away the the, the championship title chase, uh, which we often do at, uh, at Texas simply because it's that late in the in the season. It has been with the previous dominance of uh, Mercedes, and of course the previous uh,
1: the the current dominance of Red Bull. Oh. Go ahead, Bob. Now we can, we can focus on that midfield battle that yes. we've been talking about all year long. You know, it is it is bloody and fierce. So let's watch them.
0: Um, I just want to move on to talk a little bit about something we discussed, uh, which is, and we, we kind of touched on it, but last man standing in Andretti. We'll get Chris's views on this a little bit uh, later, but he is the man on the ground, obviously. But Bob, your take, um, it looks as though there were four um bids to try to become the eleventh team in Formula One. Right. There is a rule, or at least in the Concord agreement, that says there is a maximum of thirteen. Um, but then all the teams got excited about dilution. Um, but Zach Brown has come out recently and said, look if they pay the kind of money, and they are the last ones standing, and they, they've, they've met the cr- uh, criteria for sustainability for a plan for a crew of people. We heard from Dave O'Neill that he has already he heard that there is a group of people almost getting ready for that uh, uh, so actuality of having Andretti uh, as part of Formula 1. Um, will they, Will this be the last part, and can they make it?
1: Oh, I think they definitely can. Um, and, and frankly, frankly... This whole process has been a bit of a mystery to Mm. me. I I see nothing negative about the Andretti proposal to join Formula One. They have the facilities, they're gonna have the staff, they have the financial backing, the technical backing, they have a plan. You know, to to listen to the operators and owners and shareholders in multi-billion dollar operations like Formula One teams are complaining about, well, I'm gonna lose. Ten or twenty million next year if there's an eleventh teeth instead of ten out there. I mean, it's chunk change to these guys. So why, you know, why do they care? What is going on here when you've got a, a great organization like Andretti Global, headed by yes Michael, but let's keep in mind that standing behind Michael is his father Mario Andretti, mm. who was an absolute legend of Formula One. I mean, just the somebody blame to me why there's a, there's any negative in this whole situation at all other than the fact that you get your pocket picked a little bit if you're a veteran team
0: I honestly think this is a, this is a throwback as the European, I can say it I think the Piranhas Club is still very European, um, they mm-hmm. don't like their toys to be played with in their sandpit, they still see it as a European championship and they still see it as a European game um, and America has its own world with IndyCar and, and, and IMSA and so on and so forth and they don't want Michael in it I think that's it, and and you know from doing Formula Extreme and Formula E, uh, and I know having lived here as long as I have and working with the likes of Adam and Mario just a couple of weeks ago, um, they're real, they're the real deal. Uh, and if I mean to be honest, they're more likely than than let's say, say if you if you put Haas versus Andretti right when Haas were, were bidding to come into Formula One, you'd have always gone with with uh, M- and Michael Andretti because of his background rather than Haas's NASCAR background.
1: Right. There's no doubting the racing credentials and the commitment to the sport that the Andretti family has. And it's, um, yeah, it's a bit of a mystery. It's one of the great stories so, of the past year.
2: Ah, Chris. So while I, I was going to say, while I, uh, I yeah, I totally agree that Andretti, uh, a brilliant name and could do a great job in Formula One, and I'd love to see them in. I'm actually going to disagree with you both on two points here. Oh. One with Bob on the, um, on you know, the chump change part, which you are right in a sense that the money involved in formula one it's not um going to be career ending losses you know teams could find ways of absorbing that but at the same time if you're running a, a business or a formula one team and you're basically set, asked well do you want to lose an extra 10 or 20 million dollars a year for in a sense no reason and have a bigger threat to your sporting position or not you're going to say no which is why you, you've got to take teams out of this because from their own they are going to protect their position aren't they they've They'd get fired if they said, you know what, here, we're going to give away some money and we're going to potentially give away some positions on the grid too. We're going to increase our threats. But the the wider picture is what needs to be looked at by F1 itself, which is why I'm like, yeah, don't listen to what the teams want uh, because you know, they're, they're always going to protect themselves. The, the um, fact that thinking European-focused, though, also disagree with that. The FIA have um, reportedly turned down the other teams that have said that they wanted to come in and... All of those were either European-based or, or Asian-based, uh, and where there was huge money involved. So it wasn't like, let's expand, you know, let's have another European team come in. Or it wasn't, let's go chase the money that's in Asia either. It, it was just the fact that, well, they just don't meet the criteria either. They don't even come close, whereas they're saying Andretti do. Therefore, they look like they're going to get put forward to Formula One themselves. I think part of it, though, is the way Andretti started going yeah. about it by just coming in and saying, "Look, we want to come in and and we're good enough, so let us in." And it didn't go down well at F1 HQ. They're like, "This is our business. This is our sport. We'll tell you if we're expanding it. We'll tell you if we want you to come and try and take some of the money out of it, yeah. um, or or even add some money to it." Which is, I actually believe, is what Andretti would end up doing by expanding Absolutely. the grid. Um, but I, it was that initial attitude of just like, "Let us in. Come Like if I went up to I don't know, ESPN for a job, and I just went and banged on the door and went, hey, no, I'm going to what I do, give me a job. They'd be like, well, we don't have one right now, or we're not looking for someone right now. Mm-hmm. If I keep then shouting it and start publicly saying to people, they won't give me a job, how ridiculous. But if there's not a job going, or they're just not wanting to hire at that time. Like, so I think that's where it started. That's the problem. That was the starting point. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. where the, the, the rebuttals came from. So Andretti are having to turn that situation around. And slowly, I think they're doing it. They've been quiet for a while. They've mm-hmm. done everything F1 has asked of them. They've done everything FIA has asked of them. I do think they're edging towards uh, a better opportunity of getting in because they've started playing the game that essentially the rulemakers have asked them to play. Because then, if they do that, when you look at it and lay it all out, as you guys have both rightly said, I can't actually see a reason why that is a team that you would ever turn down.
0: I agree. And if, you know, my dad was a company doctor, and if you take that sort of 10,000 metre rule and forget that you're, uh, involved in Formula One and you look from above uh, and you see three Grand Prix in America and you see the sponsors involved in Formula One, you have to say and you have to consider very seriously a second American team and also the the influence of the tech companies and the American influence, including Williams, including Haas, uh, and say that, you know, Formula One has changed dramatically since Bernie's days and this is very much uh, an America-centric Kind of sport now with so many Grand Prix here. And yes, Europeans may not like it, um, but it, this is a global business. And I do think that um, they have a right. And I agree with Chris. They probably came in a little bit too bullish, uh, kind of demanding their, their entry. Uh, I agree with Andrew. Uh, it says, why doesn't it seem that Liberty are on the, op- the opposing side just because they're taking the direction of the teams? Because they should be championing uh, the Andretti cause. And I agree with uh, Andrew Poppy-elect on that one on YouTube. So, yeah, it's it's um, it's an interesting one. It'll roll on,
1: but let's hope we do get them on. I, I won't argue, again, what Chris is saying. Yeah, the Andretti initial proposal could have been a lot more diplomatic, could have been done behind the scenes until it was announced and all that sort of thing. Totally agree with that. Um, but this business about uh, Andretti not bringing value, look where all the sponsors are coming from now in Formula One. Look where the TV audiences are now in Formula One. Look where where FOM wants to spend its money in formula 1 right now and and let me venture i mean it, Europeans invented soccer but they're not telling the rest of the world you know that you, know, you can't have teams coming to the world cup because you know it's a it's our thing mm-hmm. uh, do you want the next teams in formula 1 to be from some oil rich middle eastern country uh, or, you know, do you want a, a broader spectrum? Do you want um, the teams from other places? I mean, where is Africa in all of this? Where is South America in all of this? Uh, mm-hmm. I, I just think there's a, there's a dangerous element of nationalism and chauvinism in this whole thing. And to say, well, we don't want another American team, despite the fact that that's where the economic mm. nexus of the whole sport is moving, I think it's fair to say. Well, you know, then I, I think I can put up with some bad manners here and there. And as Chris says, quite rightly, um, somebody has gotten to the Andretti folks, I guess, because uh, the uh, everything has gone quiet and that seems to be a positive.
0: Well, listen, uh, on the line right now, let's hear from Jacksonville. Dave is on the line. Dave, what's your take? Hey, guys. Um,
3: definitely heard Bob's take want to agree with um, a lot of what he said, especially when you consider, like you said, there's been so much hostility toward Andretti's entry, but I also will take that a step further and look at just Logan Sargent and how he's been scrutinized because everyone's like, oh, he doesn't belong in Formula One. He needs to go ahead and get on out. He's made too many mistakes as a rookie. But I think back, and I've said this on Twitter slash X, come Blue in the Face, How often did Mick Schumacher do this in his first year and a half? But we kept giving him chance after chance after chance. And I'm just, and for me, it's just like, there's, it feels like there is a comparison here, but at the same time, let's be fair. I think Logan is a great talent. I think he's worth the shot uh, Williams is giving him. And I appreciate Williams for keeping his back. And I hope they don't go after Felipe Dredovich there's just way too many talented seats in formula one, but I really hope that formula one kind of gets their act together and they just, Hey, let's give everybody a chance. And Bob, in addition to what you were saying, let's sit, let's try and get Kyle on on the schedule. (laughs) Um, I definitely appreciate, Oh,
0: no, no, I agree. Go ahead. Keep going.
3: Oh, definitely wanted to say, hey, it's an honor speaking to you both. I've been I've been watching you guys for a long time back in the speed vision days, John. I remember you. I think you were on World Superbike at the time. I was. And Bob, um, were you on World Superbike or MotoGP? MotoGP. Um, he does everything, does Bob? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah.
0: Roller disco and, fishing. Yep. Yeah, roller disco fishing. <laughs>
3: And then, Bob, I remember watching you all the way back from Daytona. And when I first got SpeedVision, I remember listening to you from Formula One, literally the voice of my childhood. So, pleasure to speak with you both. Um, definitely a pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Dave, you're a good man. Thanks for calling in. Feel free to call in any time and keep watching the show. Thanks for your input. And we, yeah, we take it on board. I, I, I agree with what we are saying. Very good stuff. Well, Bob, what else uh, springs to mind? Obviously, I think we've dealt with both Sargent and... Uh, I. Just finishing off on Sargent, I, I, the one thing I would disagree with, um, um, Dave, from Jacksonville, I, I don't think it has to do with the fact that Logan's from America. I think the criticism comes from the genuine fact that he's made mistakes. I don't care whether it would be Brazilian, English, or Italian. I, I think when you look at someone like uh, Giovinazzi and his mistakes that led to his downfall in Formula One, um, that, and Latifi, who was Canadian... Um, you know, I, I just think there comes a time where it doesn't matter the country. If you're not performing at the highest level in Formula One, you're not going to last long. It's like playing up front for Manchester United. If you're not scoring the goals or Real Madrid, you are not going to be in the starting lineup.
1: That's the sad reality of the sport right now. Mm-hmm. I think of guys like Mika Hakkinen and and Nigel Mansell, guys who had 90 or 100 races before they really put their stamp on the sport. You mm-hmm. would never get that kind of time in contemporary Formula One. The stakes are too high. The pressures are too great. And I totally get that. It takes a very different kind of person. And I'm the first to admit, I believe, um, and I have some firsthand experience of this, that there is a certain predisposition against young American drivers because they have so much they can be doing in the United States, tied by a golden chain is the phrase that comes to mind. Mm. Al Unser Jr. and Rick Mears and Jeff Gordon, all tested Formula One cars, But when you compare the lifestyle and the pressures of being a Formula One driver with the career and the lifestyle you can have right here in the United States, it's a tough decision. So young Americans don't make that commitment, by and large, to go over there and put in the time and put up the results that the people in power in Formula One want to see. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's plenty of blame to go around on that score. If you want to be an American in Formula One, get your butt to Europe.
0: Okay. well, listen, we'll take our last break. Uh, Chris is going to chip in with his thoughts on the end of this. Logan did do exactly what you say, Bob. And, uh, yeah, I think he deserves another crack at it. We'll take a short break here on Speed City. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Yeah, Chris, are you still there?
2: I am. I'm just going to go through passport control while we're in this break as well.
0: <laughs> you're, you're, you're a star, mate. You, I, I don't know if you've seen it. Well, you won't have seen it, but they're loving the fact that you're dedicated to the cause here on our YouTube. Um, I tell you, it's not easy to go through Japanese customs and uh, <laughs> and still be doing a live show. What a star.
1: Interview the customs. you are?
2: I did get a weird look as I walked up to the uh, yeah, security bet. first I'll time because they were like, um, why are you still talking into your headphones? But um, yeah, we timed it well. So yeah, I'll do the same now, and then um, I'll be back in a sec.
0: So, so somebody's, Joe from Oyster Bay, say, is Jonathan nuclear powered? Yeah, I, I, I it's yeah, I, 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 I drink uh, what is it? Uh, unsweetened HEB sports. Oh no! Oh, mayhem! mayhem. Yes, mayhem! Mayhem! All right, well, l- l- <laughs> you can get a change somewhere in Japan for passport.
1: Hi, this is Karun Chandok, and you're listening to
3: Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio Speed
0: City. Welcome back. First time I met Karun Chandhok, he was 10 years of age and I was in India doing a Formula 3 event and he was 10 years old wearing a Kevin Schwantz T-shirt. So I liked him instantly and we've Good got choice. along ever since. Um, listen, last last uh, part of the show, we've been wrapping up the Japanese Grand Prix. You've got Chris going through passport control on the line. Dedication like you wouldn't believe. We've got Bob Varsha in Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm here, Jonathan Green. Uh, thanks for your input tonight. Um, last thoughts. I don't know if Chris is still with us. You wanted a... I a- am, I'm sorry. Okay, through. great. Good man, you made it. <laughs> um, uh, your yeah. thoughts on Sergeant? You had a, a, a point to make. Yeah, one
2: of the things I found, I think, difficult for Sargent. One of the things I think he's finding tough is, as you pointed out, I don't think the criticism he gets is based on being American. I do think that's on on the errors he's making. But I also don't think he's getting the full support from America that maybe Williams thought he'd get or that would help him kind of deal with that situation. If you look at, you know, there's there's a l- number of people I've seen say, well, because he m- did move to Europe early and has done the European ladder and hasn't been around that much. he's He's not kind of, the true American racer we want to see that came up to IndyCar, that sort mm. of thing. So I feel like he's not got the full backing of either side of the channel of, of the Atlantic in that sense. And that doesn't help him. Uh, also, you're definitely right that it, it is just people jumping on the mistakes. I wanted to um, kind of follow up with what Dave said actually on his call where he said about Mick Schumacher. And I agree. I think that, you know, there wasn't actually a huge difference in terms of some of the errors that were made at certain times. But context is a big thing and, and kind of the image it can create Look at Mick was up against Nikita Matzapin for that first season. Mm -hmm. So when he wasn't making mistakes, he was comfortably beating his teammate who wasn't setting a a benchmark that Alex Albon is now setting. So not only is Sargent making mistakes, but he's not getting those results that then would alleviate the pressure from those mistakes. And in a sense, that's through no fault of his own. That's because of the situation he's in with the teammate he's got. But that's why you then get Williams not jumping the gun yet, not saying, uh okay it's been terrible we're gonna get rid of him or something like that they see progress uh they were talking about it before the race yesterday that actually the crashes are masking what has been progress he has Mm -hmm. been quick he has Mm -hmm. been making strides but he's been doing that while still making costly errors and they really need him to stop making the costly errors and with each one i think it compounds the one thing i would say sergeant needs to fix is how he handles pressure i think he doesn't handle pressure brilliantly at the moment and when he does get into difficult situations, he makes some mistakes or when he's near the back and he's trying to almost turn a race around, which, you know, we saw it yesterday. He just needed a quiet, easy race, but instead he, he got himself involved in a few incidents again. And that was from starting from the pit lane with a penalty already. Like there wasn't a lot to be gained, just, just keep under the radar. So yeah, he does need to, I think, get that calmness in the car, which, which can come from experience. And he is still a, a young kid who has only done one year of F2 as well, don't forget. He goes yeah. quickly. Um, but, yeah, I think that's that's the area he needs to improve the most. And if he does that, I think a bit more patience will come his way.
1: I think that's a good he's got point. a certain amount of uh, Sergio Perez syndrome. He's yeah. just trying too hard. Mm. You know, the pressure is just constant. And he's he's trying to, you know, he, what do they say? He's trying to hit a four-run homer.
0: Yeah. A grand and, uh, Slam. Yeah. Well, okay, Chris, on that subject, if not, Lo- if let's just say Logan is not the man, then who is? Is it Drogovic? Is it somebody in F2 right now? Is it uh, Theo de Porcher? Um, What's the next guy up?
2: So for me, yeah, there's not a standout. One. Apologies again if the uh, airport gets loud at this point. But um, yeah, that's why I think Williams, right now, if you go, okay, who do you replace him with? Well, Williams invested in Logan. You know, they backed him into his F2 season. They saw what he did in F2 and liked some of the signs that they got. They saw his work in the sim and they went, you know what? There's potential here. We can work with this. Now, to drop it after just two years, after putting money into it and then go for an unproven rookie doesn't make sense to me. Um, I don't, you know, Djokovic, I'm, you know, is a very good driver, done a very solid job, but he won what wasn't the most competitive Formula Two season going. And in that, Logan, as a rookie, and, and Djokovic was not a rookie, Logan did win a couple of races and took a number of pole positions. He looked quick. So it, it wasn't a time where I went, oh, Djokovic is unignorable. Um, although I would always like to see the champion step up. There are times where you just go, oh, okay, they've become champion, but wasn't the most convincing season we've ever seen. Uh, so, And then the same with share he, he was looking good going in at a young age, but it's kind of laboring to the title this year um without a a major challenger really coming to the fore because a number of others have fallen by the wayside and none of those others are rookies either they're they're experienced guys and again it just none of them have instilled that confidence in me so i don't think it's any of those guys right now i would only say liam lawson i would that he is the only one who stands out as okay he's in the last few races he's made a case that says he should be on the f1 grid uh, now, I still think that means you know Red Bull don't need to rush him and they can pick where they put him because they've got confidence that he will be successful in future. They don't, in a sense, they don't need to find out. So for Williams, that means he's a bit closer to a, a sure thing, but still young and you're helping develop him. So, um, but the flip side again is then Williams have to think: well, how does it benefit us? What's going to be our return on helping this young Red Bull driver get up to speed in Formula One and, and iron out his mistakes? And again, then you're still looking at the same sort of topic of a young driver who's not the finished article, um, who is learning on the job. And that's what they've got with sergeants. So the differences aren't huge. Uh, and there's 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 no one else heavily experienced knocking on the door to come come in that I'm looking at and going, oh, they should get the seat. So yeah, uh, it's funny. I, I think we should have more seats in F1 anyway. I want to see more drivers get opportunities, but I don't see right now a... Uh, Oh, Logan's going to go out because this driver needs to come in. There is there is not that standout candidate right now.
0: And Formula One is so different now, and it's a good point. But you know, when AlphaTauri, the worst team in Formula One, we've been going on all season about the fact that is there a bad team in Formula One? And the truth is, there isn't. So if they're scoring points and they are, you know, literally right at the back, uh, and and Lawson, everybody's talking about it, um, and yet and yet that's the supposedly the worst team. It's a pretty tough game to get into, no question about it. Bob, well, hey Chris, we'll let you go. You've been you've been an absolute star. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we appreciate your insight. We always do, uh, Bob. Your sum up. Um, you've got to think the McLaren are happy with that on their 60th anniversary this year to do what they're doing.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm sure while other teams may be thinking, "Oh my God, six races to go, I'm exhausted," McLaren is probably, you know, it, it, Qatar cannot come soon enough. And then the United States at Austin and Vegas and, and Mexico and Brazil and everywhere else. They are a great story. And keep in mind, they are a customer team yeah. taking it to the factory squads. It's a great story.
0: Yep. No question about it. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thanks for your comments online. We'll be back. Don't forget, Qatar is upon us. And hey, Formula One's coming to Austin, Texas. Little old Austin, Texas, very soon. Thanks for tuning in. John Massengale hasn't disappeared. He just had a weekend off. Boy, he deserves it. My thanks to Bob Varsha. My thanks, obviously, to uh, Chris Medlin doing the business. I'm Jonathan Green. Join us next time round when Speed City will be back with all your Formula One information. Bye-bye for now.